you. Thanks, thanks for your kind words. Absolutely no pressure after that. But uh, good morning, Olive Tree. Uh, yeah, it's good to see you. How cool is it to be without masks? Um, I said to the 815 uh, guys that they're pretty good looking, but you guys look even better, man. Sheesh. <laughs> so yeah, as Tim said, we've been at Olive Tree for, um, we joined during lockdown. Um, and yeah, it's a real privilege to be up here. I'm married to this incredible woman, Sonia. We've been together for almost uh, 20 years, and she still has the ability to capture my gaze. We have two small kids, uh, Holly and Jack. They're 12, and Jack's about to turn 11. And I love God's Word. And that's what I'm going to be doing this morning, is we're in the middle of a Philippians series, and I'm going to be working through Philippians 3. And if I had to give my message a title this morning, it would be, Who is your confidence? Who is your confidence? And uh, I want to tell you about a story in my life where I needed incredible confidence. I've always wanted to skydive. My dad skydived, and as a kid, we used to watch him disappear into the uh, sky with just like a backpack attached to them, and I thought, man, that's brave. But there was something about it that intrigued me that, I, that I, I wanted to do. So when I was old enough and managed to save up enough money, I thought, I'm going to sign up for this skydiving thing. So we did the whole safety test, and we were told, like, as you jump out of the plane, you've got to tuck and roll, and then as soon as you can, you've got to, like, make yourself like a starfish, otherwise you, you spin out, and then when the parachute comes, it tangles in you, and you just, like, splat on the ground. Whoa, okay, <laughs> it's a bit hectic. Um, but then they reassured you of the, like, the strings or whatever you call them, and all the multiple clips, because I was going to go tandem, I was going to go tied to someone, not a chance, I'm doing that on my own. Um, then they, they reassured you of all the clips and all the safety things, and I thought, okay, let's do this thing. And my confidence level started to rise and we get in the plane and you start cruising up and then you like look down and you're like, oh, okay, I can see people. And then you're like, ooh, okay, I can't see people anymore. Um, but I can see little cars and now I can't see cars. And like, like your frame of reference, the higher you got, you like couldn't see anything down there. And you, you start hitting like 6,000 feet, 7,000, 8,000, 10,000 feet. And then I just heard the pilot say, go, 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 go. We're there, we're there, we're there. The door opens up and I was like, like, I need to get out of this thing now. <laughs> and I literally froze. I mean, my hands were like sweating. They were like sopping wet. My heart was like pumping. I was... Um, I literally, I thought that this instructor was going to land on the ground with a dead body because I thought I had a heart attack and died. Um, I didn't know whether I wanted to faint or cry or vomit. I, I literally, I just froze. From fear. I mean, have you ever been so scared that your legs start shaking? I was like, going like this. But then eventually, I had to get to a point where my confidence was no longer in myself, but my confidence was in something greater than myself. I had to place my confidence in the instructor, in all the clips and things that I was tied to, into the fact that there were multiple safety things that had gone before me. Because if my confidence was in myself and my reasoning and my ability, I would never have jumped out of that plane. But anyway, I did jump, and fortunately, I didn't go splat on the ground, and I'm allowed to tell the tale. But um, confidence is a part of our everyday lives. I mean, you guys are exercising a degree of confidence right now that the chair that you are sitting on is going to hold you. You might not even... You, you might have not thought about that as you sit down, but there's a subconscious confidence that this chair is going to hold you up. Um, a lot of us place confidence in our jobs, in our bank accounts, in, in our qualifications, in if, or we think, if I just got a spouse, or uh, uh, 
got this job or this qualification, man, I would be super confident. I'd have peace. I'd have security. Man, I would be sorted. Um, I had a friend who was very confident in Bitcoin. Um, he'd been saving up for years for a deposit on his house, and he, this was about July last year, and he took all this money and he put it on Bitcoin. And I'm not sure how to judge his investment decisions, but the thing that stood out to me was he said this to me. He said, Shane, I've never been more confident than anything in my life that Bitcoin will be $100,000 by December 2021. I thought, wow, that's a lot of confidence that he's got in Bitcoin. Um, but what about where we lack confidence? <laughs> I think this week has been particularly tough for us as South Africans since the Zondo report came out, this load shedding. Fortunately, in Etequini, we managed to dodge that bullet. But the mood, actually business confidence at the moment in South Africa is at the lowest level since the Rubicon speech. And we don't, we're lacking confidence. Um, but we think if there was a new government, ooh, then I'd be confident. Or maybe I want to go to another country under a different government, and then I'll be confident. Can you see how confidence is a part of our everyday lives? We exercise confidence all the time. But what I want to talk about this morning is, what are your confidence levels like when you approach God? When you came in those doors this morning, um, what were your confidence levels like? Maybe you had a great week. You spent so much time in the Word, you can now memorize Scripture like a, like a, like a memorized Scripture person. <laughs> Uh, maybe you, you, you spent like hours in worship, and maybe you told someone in your office or your workplace about Jesus, and man, you are so confident in your ability. Like when you walked in those doors this morning, you were like, man, angels, step aside, I've arrived. <laughs> and your confidence levels are like through the roof because you've ticked all the boxes. You're feeling good. <laughs> or maybe you've had a particularly rough week. Maybe you've done something you shouldn't have, or you've looked at something you shouldn't have, or you've, you've said some really harsh words to a friend or to a family member, and your confidence levels as you walked through those doors were rock bottom. Or maybe it wasn't even this week. Maybe it was something that you did years ago, that when you approach God or when you stand before God, your confidence levels are like, you, you, you almost feel like, should I even be here? Do I qualify to be here? Am I good enough to be here? See, you, like this person here has got no confidence. But this person here has a misplaced confidence. But what if I told you both are wrong? What if I told you both are wrong? And actually, what does the word have to say about our confidence? And I want to pick it up in Philippians 3, um, where Paul speaks. Now, if anyone had reason to be confident in their abilities, it's this guy, Paul. I mean, he, he wrote Philippians. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. I mean, in terms of like tick box stuff, this guy is amazing. In fact, there's a point, I'll read it now, where he says, regards to the law, keeping all the rules, man, I'm faultless. Okay, I mean, how's that for confidence? I mean, I don't think I can even go 10 minutes without breaking God's law. But he says, my whole life, Faultless, sure. But let's see what he has to say about that. He says, For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Jesus Christ has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own efforts, if anyone could. 
Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have more. It's like a, nee, 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 I have more. I mean, <laughs> selfrighteousness.com. Um, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. Then he lists all his things. He says, I was circumcised I'm a, uh, when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrews, if ever there was one. I was a citizen of the Pharisees who demanded the strict obedience to the law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Man, how's that for confidence? What is Paul doing here? He's giving us a glimpse into his CV, so to speak. Um, he's saying that um, all these things like build up my CV, and, and CVs are pretty important if you think about it. I mean, they qualify us. CVs get us into places. CVs open doors for us. Think, when, think of your CV when you're applying for a job or when you apply to get into a university. You'd list all your grades, you know what I mean? You would say, this is where I worked, and this is what I've done, and I'm so good, and these are my strengths, and look at me, man, and just, just look at my record. We, we're relying on our CV to speak for us when we cannot speak. Um, my amazing wife went back to university three, four years ago um, at the tender age of, <laughs> don't want to tell her age, I don't know, think about women. But she doesn't look her age. Um, she was like one of the oldest in her class, so you can work out that. Um, did her undergrad, busy doing her honors in, in psychology, and next year is masters. But the thing about masters is very, very few people get into masters. Um, for the category that she falls into, there's only like two or three slots available, but there's thousands of people applying. And it's not just this year's honors students that are applying, it's the previous years and the previous years and the previous years of honors students that didn't get in. So the pool is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger for a tiny little space. So what does she have to do? Have to do. She has to work on her CV. So she stays up till ungodly hours in the morning trying to study, get excellent grades. Um, she's volunteering at a counseling center. She's studying a third language. All so that when she stands before that master's board, she's like, let me in, I qualify, I'm good enough, let me in, let me in. But you know what the saddest thing I see happening is, I think sometimes we fall into this CV mindset when we approach God. We think, man, I've got to do a whole bunch of things in order for my confidence to be built up, in order for me to be accepted, in order to feel good enough before God, I've got to like, I've got to work on myself. I mean, I've got to sort my stuff out before I'm good enough before God. So we, we feel like, and it's so subtle. It's not overt. It's so subtle. Like we feel, oh man, I've got to read more, read the Bible more. I've got to pray more. I've got to tell more people about Jesus. I just, I just got to do more stuff. And maybe then I will be confident. Maybe then God will accept me. Maybe then I will be good enough. Now, all these things, they're good and they're important. If you want to grow in your discipleship in Jesus, you've got to read the word. You, 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 um, worship is important. All these things are helpful to help you grow in your discipleship and your apprenticeship with Jesus. But if we are relying on them for our confidence before God, man, we're in trouble. You know why? You'll never feel good enough. You'll never feel worthy enough. Man, you could go do some incredible thing for God, and then the next day you're like, 
what next? And then you go do another thing, it's like, oh, I still feel not good enough, what next? It's like we're on this treadmill of trying to perform and trying to prove ourselves the whole time. And we have this nagging sense of having to do more. But can I tell you what the good news is? Oh, there is good news. Mm. Sorry, my mouth is extremely dry and my heart is beating like when I jumped out of that plane. Mm. So just need some water. The good news is this, is our acceptance, our confidence, and our right standing before God has got nothing to do with your CV. Nothing to do with your CV. Let's, let, let's pick up where Paul left off, talking about his CV. He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage. Some versions say rubbish. So that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Man, how could a guy who pretty much had a perfect CV consider it rubbish before God? In fact, that word rubbish or garbage in the NLT is, is a very PC translated word because the correct translation is actually feces. <laughs> it's actually human excrement. That's what Paul is saying. He's trying to like, think of a graphic way to say, if I relied on my CV as my standing before God, man, I'm going to be in the septic tank. That's what he's saying. Not me. I wouldn't be that brave. He's saying that. So when, when, when it comes to human effort, I, I think we fall into two camps. We fall, uh, and then we'll, we'll, throughout our Christian walk, we'll kind of oscillate between the two. But, but we generally have two camps. We have like the camp here, who's the sinner, who's, who's, who's done some stuff in their lives that, that they're ashamed of, that they feel guilty about, that they're really, really embarrassed about. And if we had to take their CV and like almost grade it like a report card, we would give them, we'd give them an F. And I would fall into this category. See, I've, I've been involved in, I was in a church plant with some incredible people I was in church leadership, but I did some stuff that, man, I'm embarrassed about, that completely disqualified me, that, um, uh, that if you had to take my CV, it would have a big F on. And I think of, like, you know these comrades runners? You know, at the start of the comrades, like, you see these guys with these big banners. Like, I don't know how they do it. Maybe they've got a backpack on with, like, a, a stick coming out. And they got like a message on there, like, uh, I love you, my wife, or will you marry me, Mary, or they swear at their boss or something, or I don't know, but they're carrying a message, and this message is dear to them, that they want everyone to know. <laughs> you know what I felt my message was? was like, F was like failure, like wherever I went, 
like I just felt so reminded about the stuff that I'd done. And it was such a burden. It were, I carried this guilt, this shame, this condemnation. I felt like God had written me off, like he didn't want to know me. Like because of my failure, I was completely disqualified. So that's the camp here, like the sinner camp. But I wasn't always in this camp. Like when I first crossed the line of faith and when I first placed my faith in Jesus, like I, I was like in this camp here, let's call this camp the saint. If that's the sinner, let's take the other extreme, the saint. I was 18 when I, when, I, when I came to know Jesus and I went to an Alpha course and, and Nikki Gumbel was, was speaking about forgiveness. And I thought, sure, I need forgiveness. I mean, I stole a packet of popcorn when I was 14. Man, I need forgiveness. And, and I've perhaps been in some unhealthy relationships where, 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 where they were self-serving and I probably took advantage of people. And uh, yeah, I need forgiveness for that. So I'm gonna do this Christian thing and I'm gonna ask for forgiveness. But at the end of the day, deep down inside, you know, if you had to rate my CV as an 18-year-old, it would pretty much be an A+. Because you know why? Other way around, thank you. Oh, glad you guys are listening. <laughs> it wasn't a W. It was an A+, because, I mean, I wasn't half as bad as my mates. I mean, those were shockers. The stuff that they got up to, they were absolute shockers. But it's funny how we've got different standards. I mean, the standards for others that we have are so high, and the standards we have for ourselves are so low. So I thought, A+. But the more I journeyed in my Christian faith, I would come across scriptures like, if you are angry with someone, it's committing murder in your heart. I thought, oh, come on. That's not me, whatever. And then, it's funny how you'd read something, and then later on in your life, God reminds you of what you read. So... I was driving, and like I said this morning, God has redeemed many areas in my life. Road rage is a process, um, and I'm still in that phase of redemption and road rage. I've come a long way, hey, love. I let taxi drivers in now. I don't just, yeah, getting there, getting there. <laughs> but I was driving the one day, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw this guy in like a really fast car. I don't know too much about cars, but it was like a, a GTI or like a Ford ST thing, whatever, something like that. But this guy was weaving, like trying to take gaps where there were no gaps, putting people's lives at risks. And then before I knew it, like he was on my rear, on my end, on my back bumper thing. Um, he, and flashing, and I mean, they, we were going up a hill, there was a truck next to me. So I mean, I couldn't go anywhere. This guy, all sorts of stuff started coming in my heart. And then I managed to pull over, and this guy, sped past me, and I'm afraid to say, you know what I thought? I thought, you know what would be cool? If I go around the corner, and that oak is on his roof of his car, and the wheels are spinning, and he's had an accident. Yeah, I'm bad, eh? I know, I'm fraught. You guys would never think anything like that. <laughs> but I felt God say to me, murder. So you don't have to actually go and kill someone, according to God's standards. It's murder, because those seeds, ultimately end up like that. And then I come across scriptures like, if you look at another person lustfully, it's committing adultery in your heart. Like You don't have to physically do the act of adultery. You just got to look at someone lustfully in your heart. And I thought, oh, maybe my, my, little, my little A plus is now just like an A. <laughs> and like the more I, I, like I went through life, the more I thought, man, like, as my confidence started to go down. I, and then I would hear people give these brilliant analogies on, 
on like God's righteous requirements being like the Burj Khalifa, like the tallest building in the world. Well, it was at the time, and then guys put masks on, and they all compete, big egos, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, the tallest building that I could think of was a Burj Khalifa. And it's like this flea coming. And now a flea rates himself quite highly, because a flea, according to my very accurate Google search, can jump 40 to 60 times its height. So a flea is, is pretty much a numzan by his standards. But you know, <laughs> you know where this is going. That's very laughing. Eh? That's so cool, man. I love the participation. <laughs> but actually, this flea, when you put this flea before God's requirements, it's like this little flea trying to jump over the Burj Khalifa. I mean, he's not even going to get out of the parking garage. <laughs> but that's what God's requirements are like. And we are like these fleas trying to jump over the Burj Khalifa, trying to prove ourselves before God. Like, it is impossible never be able to do it. And my confidence started to drastically go down. You see, these two camps, the sinner and the saint, when we rely on our righteousness or lack thereof, they, they look very different, but they are fundamentally the same. You see, this camp here says, actually, Jesus, you know what? I don't really need your forgiveness. I'm not gonna rely on what you've done for me on the cross, the price you've paid for me. I'm gonna earn it myself. God is nowhere to be seen. No humility, no reliance on God, my record. And this guy in this camp here, man, don't you find that when you've dropped the ball, you just wanna run from God? You don't wanna read the word. You feel disqualified. You wanna worship. So you hide from God. Like Adam and Eve, they sinned. They hid from God. So this camp here hides from God. This camp here has no God. Man, oh man, where does it leave us? If this guy's disqualified, we know he's disqualified. This guy's, is there a better way to live? Is there a righteousness that speaks more and a more beautiful word than our own righteousness, than our own efforts? Because you see, like Paul, we need to get to a point where we consider. Like he looked at his CV, okay, and he started to consider. Like all these things that I'm relying on to build my confidence when I stand before God, are they going to be enough? Is it going to be enough? If you're relying on the fact that you are generous, oh, nice tick, how much must you give? If you rely on the fact that you feed people, I feed people and I help people, how many mouths must you feed? How much must you do? I'm a prayer and I pray for five hours a day. Oh, great. I pray for six hours a day. How much is enough? How much must we do to qualify. I mean, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna shock you with a, a statement by Tim Keller. Um, he's an incredible man in, in New York, Presbyterian minister. He says this, he says, repenting of your sins does not make you a Christian. Some of you are going, what? <laughs> repenting of your sin does not make you a Christian. That just makes you a failed Pharisee, admitting that you can't keep all the rules. Do you know when you really become a Christian? Is when you start to repent of your righteousness. When you start to say, man, those things that I've relied on for so many years to qualify me before God, man, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm so sorry. I want to lay those things down. And I wanna see my righteous deeds for what they are. 
what the Bible refers to as a filthy rag. And Isaiah talks about that. It talks about our righteousness, our good deeds, trying to, trying to justify ourselves. It's like a filthy rag. And once again, Bible commentators are very PC. The correct translation of that word, filthy rag, is actually a menstrual cloth. I think the Bible sometimes tries to think of the worst images when we try to justify ourselves in order to show us our desperate need for a savior, when we rely on our own records. So like I said, is there a better way to live? Is there something better to place my confidence in? Okay, this guy here, me, we know, our confidence is shot. This guy here, is there something better than constantly trying to perform? And yes, there is. Now, like I said this morning, like if you haven't really been thinking and if I bored you, okay, that's fine, but listen to this. Because this, if this can get inside of us, man, this is life-changing. If we can pick it up um, again where I left off there, where Paul says, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. No, not my performance. Depends on faith. And then I cross-reference that to 2 Corinthians 5.21, and it's always important to cross-reference. Whenever you're building a theology or an opinion on God, don't take one scripture and take it out of context, but look at the bigger picture. So I want to cross-reference this because it really does sound too good to be true, what I'm about to say. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Yo, that's a mouthful, eh? Like, for years, I did not understand that, and then I just went to the next scripture. But until somebody explained it to me like this. Did Jesus commit sin? Yes, no. No, of course not. He didn't. He was sin-free. So when he hung on that cross, he was made sin. Okay? Do we, in the same way, do we go around committing righteous acts in order to rely on that to justify us before God? No, we can't. How then? We are made righteous. Just like Jesus did not have to go around committing sins, we don't go around committing righteous acts in order to reconcile ourselves to God because we cannot. It doesn't mean that it's, a, that, that it's a license to sin and you can carry on whatever you want. No, no, no. It's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to sin and, um, and ungodliness and live upright lives. So this thing doesn't allow me to sin, but it empowers me to overcome sin. So where does that leave us? See, the forgiveness of sin is really just a half-time score in this Christian faith. The full-time score is that we get Jesus's perfect record. And what do I mean by that? You see, the scriptures talk about a righteousness of Christ or Christ righteousness, which is correct. And actually, theologically speaking, I should say here, uh, Christ righteousness. But think of Jesus's perfect record. Never sinned. Okay, cool. But let's explore that a bit more. Not a wrong thought. Woof, man, that's odd. Not a wrong action not a wrong reaction when sometimes it's just like a reflex that comes out of us and you think, whoa, where did that come from? None of that. Perfect obedience in every single way. And what happens? So let's, let's come back to these two camps. We've got the saint over here who works his whole life trying to work on his CV. What is Paul saying here? He's saying we take our record and by faith we find ourselves 
in Jesus' record. So that when God looks at us, what does he see? He sees Jesus' perfect record. Not your own trying to perform. Not your own trying to justify yourself. To make yourself good enough before God. But Jesus' perfect record. The beautiful stars. I love this line. It says, you know, the glorious stars that we see at night, incredible stars, they shine really brightly at night. But when the sun comes out, they disappear. And it's like that. Some of you have really amazing records. I mean, really, something to be proud of. But actually, when we place it against Jesus' record, man, your righteousness pales into insignificance, and we can't see those stars anymore when the S-O-N comes out, when the sun comes out. So all these things that we relied on, we actually, like Paul, we consider them rubbish, and we place it in Jesus' record. But what about this guy here? What about the guy that lives under tremendous guilt, tremendous shame, tremendous condemnation, and it's just like this burden that you've been carrying, that you've done some stuff, and no matter what you try to do, you feel it's like just this weight that is dragging you because of this record that is speaking over you. Man, by faith, do you know what you do? You repent of that, and actually you place your faith in Jesus' record. That when you stand before him, you don't have to spend half an hour repenting of something that you did 10 years ago. It's done. It's dealt with on the cross. Jesus' righteousness is now imputed into you by faith. And you're free to worship, and you're free to praise, and you're free to go out and, and live for him. Not because of what you have done, what you have done, or what you have not done, but because of what he has done. I mean, can you imagine what your life would be like if your complete and utter confidence was placed on what Jesus had done for you? Man, it would liberate you from every form of performance. Not just Christian performance, but performance at work, just seeking affirmation and just everyday life. This, as important as affirmation is for the human soul, it can be so addictive and so unfulfilling. Because the moment you get 5,000 likes, I'm not on social media, but apparently people get addicted to likes, uh, you'd want 10,000 likes or a million. I mean, there's just always more. But you know what? When we have the praise of the most praiseworthy is above all reward. Man, this thing speaks a better word than anything that we look for for our confidence or our affirmation. It speaks louder than anything that you could imagine. And you know what begins to happen? Is there's a confidence inside of us that we begin to perform, but with a different motive. Because we're no longer trying to like, do a whole bunch of things in order to justify ourselves before God, but because we've been so captivated by the Savior and what he's done for us, I can't help but want to do those things. I can't help but want to know God. Um, my brother down from the UK, he has a small um, son. He's about 18 months. I think it was two years rough, roughly at the time. And uh, I mean, coming from the UK, they love the heat here. We couldn't wait to like, take off all his layers and layers and layers. And um, he loved the pool. And our pool was quite a big pool at the time. We've subsequently renovated. It was just way too big. But it had this like massive deep end and then this like medium end and then this like 
shallow end, like a circle type step thing that was about this deep, no, actually my ankle, like about that, that deep. Um, but this little guy, Blake, he would love swimming in there. He would like play in there, because he felt so safe and he loved it. Um, but when, when his parents, my brother and his wife, tried to take them into the deep end, into the shallow end, oh, he'd freak out. Can't do it, can't do it. I want to stay in my comfortable place. So what he did, well, what, what uh, my brother and his wife did was they bought armbands. You know those like inflatable things, you like blow them up, you put them on your arms, and they, they stop you from drowning. They enable you to float. And what ended up happening was this little guy had so much confidence because now it was no longer in his ability to swim. These things held him up. So what did he do? Man, he jumped in the deep end, in the medium end. He was in and out. They couldn't get him out of the pool because there was a new confidence. Man, can you imagine if we placed our confidence in Jesus' perfect record? To when, when, when it comes to reading the word, and we don't come to the word feeling um, condemned and guilty and ashamed, and we don't come with a sense of pride because of what I've done, so speak to me, Lord. No, 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 Lord, I come because of what you have done, and I want to know you, and I want to worship you. You see, so often we make the measure of our worth based on the quality of our performance. So if we perform well, we're worthy. I mean, I, I, I trade a bit on the stock market, um, and when my shares are up, man, I feel so worthy, because my performance, <laughs> I'm the man. But when my shares are down, oh my word, you don't want to be around me, <laughs> because I make the quality, sorry, the measure of my worth based on the performance of something else. But can I tell you, if you make the measure of your worth, okay, based on the quality of Jesus' performance and Jesus' record, man, you are infinitely worthy. Not because of what you've done, not at all. We're not worthy, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Which camp do you fall into this morning? Do you walk around with a heavy burden, feeling not good enough, feeling disqualified, feeling like, man, I don't want to do this Christian thing anymore. Man, can I, like, beg you and plead you to put your faith in Jesus' record and take the focus off of yourself and onto what he has done for you. And that is the basis for your confidence. That is the basis for your reconciliation before him. And if you're in this camp here and you, you know subtly that you've been trying so hard to prove yourself, you accept that Jesus has died on the cross for your sin, but, you don't, but, but this thing here, this is like, no, 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 too good to be true. Can I ask you to graciously, well, to ask God to graciously and kindly and lovingly just show you that it will never be good enough and stop performing. I want to end with a quote from a, a beautiful hymn. Um, it goes, lay your deadly doings down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him, in him alone, gloriously complete. Lay your deadly doing down. It's done. Forget about it. Lay it down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him, in him alone, gloriously complete.
Amen. Amen and amen. Thanks, Tim.